so many times in my career coaching kids for weeks, I would try to get them to do certain movements mm -hmm. and they couldn't figure it out. And I always thought, well, maybe they're just not trying or am I saying things wrong? Why can't they do it? And I've come to the realization that everybody moves so differently and maybe the athlete has a limitation where they can't physically do what I'm trying to tell them to do. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner and thank you so much for being here. Today we're joined by Derek Florco, but you all probably know him better as Sabre Coach. Derek is the Axbat Manager of Hitting, as well as the Assistant Coach for the Abbotsford Cardinals and Yale Baseball Academy. On the show, Derek and I discuss some different ways to assess our players, including three ways to test for power, but we also get into some skill development strategies, ways to individualize sessions, and some root causes why we can't get our players to move the way we want them to. This episode is so good, and here is Derek Florco. Derek Florco, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. Well, you are one of my favorite Twitter follows, and you are at Coach. And one big reason why is you put out a ton of useful information. And so I just wanted to say thank you for doing that. Oh, that's awesome. I, but once a week, somebody says that they really appreciate the stuff I put out. And I mean, if that alone is kind of worth it. My goal is just to share as much information with people as I can. And I mean, I don't even agree with everything that I put out sometimes, but I don't, it's still valuable information to somebody. So no, absolutely. And myself being on a podcast and getting to interview such great guests like yourself and being on social media, there just seems to be just a ton of informa information out there. And so it's so nice to be able to go to like one Twitter account and be able to read, you know, new information. No, Twitter can uh, sometimes be a hostile place. So it's nice when uh, I try to stay out of that stuff as much as I can. That can definitely be the case. But let's talk a little bit about you. So tell us how you got your start in baseball. Yeah, for sure. So like uh, many of your guests that I've listened to, uh, I was a pretty subpar baseball player growing up. Uh, seems to be a bit of a trend, but... Um, yeah, I played in high school, and uh, I played a year in a Canadian college as well. So there's always that debate of whether you played the game or not, and I kind of consider myself to be the replacement level on that. If you played less than me, then you probably didn't play, and if you played mm -hmm. more than me, you'd be one of the guys that played the game, I guess. So yeah, I played one year in college, and then uh, I got into coaching at 18 years old. Um, so when I went back home, I just started coaching my local high school team as well as a local baseball academy and doing all the lessons and stuff like that. My evolution as a coach uh, started the same as most people. Uh, I was always teaching, you know, the same things that I was taught, kind of just blindly accepting what I was teaching was right. You know, some kids got better, some didn't, and some of them probably got worse, if I'm being honest. Luckily for me, though, uh, I had some a couple big breakthroughs in my evolution. Uh, the first one, um, after college, I was... Laying around on my couch, I had an arm surgery and I was pretty bored. And my friend actually lent me the book Moneyball. Mm. And that uh, was the, the big breakthrough for me. Uh, it just immediately shifted my thinking of baseball. So and it wasn't even so much the nerdy numbers stuff, even though obviously I like that kind of thing. But it was just more of a mindset of not just accepting everything that I've been taught. And I kind of made a decision to forget everything and start from square one. And... The second kind of big breakthrough I had in my coaching evolution um, was with one of my good friends, Eric Sim. Maybe you guys, you guys have probably <laughs> seen him on Twitter. He's a, yep. 
he gets a little ridiculous from time to time. But um, if it wasn't for him, um, I don't know if I ever would have kind of got to where I am now. Um, I used to hit with him every offseason. And this was kind of before I started researching. And I always feel bad that I didn't learn stuff while he was still playing. <laughs> but yeah, so we hit it together every offseason. And he's notorious for being a pretty brutal hitter. So one day uh, we went down to Seattle. We went to go see one of his friends, Alex Berg, who played with him at the Giants. And Alex was a pretty good minor league hitter. So we were pretty excited to see him. And Eric got out his phone and he was really excited to show him his swing because we'd been working on it all offseason. And Alex looked at it. And the first thing he said is, that's the worst swing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> And me and Eric looked at each other and we're like, we just spent three months working on this. What are you talking about? This is the worst swing you've ever seen. So, I mean, we're in the middle of a bar and Alex stands up and he just starts giving us a hitting lesson in the middle of this bar. And it is, I will never, this was five years ago and I will never forget that conversation as it completely changed my outlook on hitting. He was saying things I had never heard before. And I owe so much to, you know, Kyle in Seattle Alex and Eric, I just, I don't think I'd ever would have learned what I've learned without them. Yeah. So after that, uh, off season, Eric went back down as a catcher and I think he hit a buck 70 or something like that. And, um, that's when he became, he came back and became a pitcher. And it just so happened that Alex and Kyle were actually good friends and we started talking and Eric wanted to become a pitcher and I knew nothing about pitching, but I just started following Kyle on Twitter. So I'm like, Eric, get in the car. We're going down to Seattle. And, uh, yeah, we went down every week for a year and a half. Every Tuesday we drove down wow. there. And I just, the amount I've learned from Kyle and the rest of those guys is I'll never, I don't think they understand how much I've learned from them. So I'll be forever appreciative of it. I love that. And so where are you now? So I'm living in a town called Langley. Um, so I'm about two and a half hours north of Seattle, about half an hour outside of Vancouver. Awesome. Now, for those of us looking to improve our off-season, talk to us about some of your main goals for the off-season. For sure. So, uh, my main goal when I'm coaching our team is in the off-season, we're trying to build up our athletes as much as possible in more of a physical sense as opposed to skill-wise, I guess you could say. So, I really try to focus on tools and creating the biggest engine, if you, you could say, for the athletes. So, Anything that uh, basically college coaches are looking for, that's the type of stuff we're really focusing on. So, I mean, a quick rundown of kind of what our offseason would look like. So the first thing we're going to do, which is a pretty hot topic now, is a physical screen on our guys. So I recently went through the TPI certification. So that's the screen we're going to be using. There's 16 or so different exercises. And uh, see, what we've, what I've created is basically... They'll run them through the screen and I've set up a spreadsheet. So say the athlete one fails the first exercise, we can click on that and it'll bring up another spreadsheet of a list of exercises that that athlete needs to do in order to fix that limitation that they have. So yeah, we have that set up for all 16 of our screens. And then after that, we actually have a what we're calling our power test, which is also from TPI. And it includes, a, a, it's three exercises. So it's a vertical jump. A seated medicine medicine ball chest pass, as well as a sit-up med ball throw. If you go to their website, actually, they have an awesome video. There's this high school gym teacher who 
was an ex-javelin thrower, actually, and he did these three tests, and he just absolutely crushed all three of them. He set some records, and the guys at TPI predicted that he would win the long drive contest that year, and he actually ended up winning it within a year of doing these tests with them. Yeah, so besides that, we also have, we set up a way to bat routine, which we I stole directly from Dustin Lin's Google Drive, as many of you guys have seen before, yeah. And uh, we also have uh, med ball routines set up with our guys that we do probably three times a week. Besides that, obviously, weight training is super important these days. Throughout fall ball, we'll slowly introduce some workouts, mostly working just on form and technique. So as soon as fall ball is over, we can go directly into stuff and not have to waste time teaching. Kind of use fall ball to teach the technique and everything. So yeah, once fall ball is done, uh, we really focus on improving raw strength, which as a power lifter myself, we focus mostly on a squat, deadlift, and some sort of pressing motion, whether it be a bench press or a weighted push-up kind of idea. Uh, a lot of single leg lunges, pull-ups, rows, that sort of thing. And then as the off-season progresses, we slowly will start moving into uh, more of a velocity-based program where we're trying to take that strength and start moving weights as fast as we can rather than just the heaviest weights we can. And then uh, it's no secret that I'm a big driveline supporter. So we have all our basic programming laid out for our throwing programs that will run from the first day of fall ball to the last day of the year, just depending on uh, what block we're in for fall ball. Obviously, it's going to be a little different than winter training and in-season training, that sort of thing. So something that I've started to get more into lately is trying to merge the weight room with the batting cage or the mound. And it sounds like you're already already doing a fantastic job with that and using the TPI assessments to help with that. But do you mind going going into some detail on how someone like myself who's not, you know, certified in uh, the TPI certification process uh, can help merge the two? Yeah, for sure. So my favorite quote is from Dr. Greg Rose, and it's, we do not believe in one way to swing a club, but rather an infinite number of swing styles. We believe the most efficient way for each player to swing is based on what the player can physically do. So so many times in my career coaching kids for weeks, I would try to get them to do certain movements mm-hmm. and they couldn't figure it out. And I always thought, well, maybe they're just not trying or am I saying things wrong? Why can't they do it? And I've come to the realization that everybody moves so differently and maybe the athlete has a limitation where they can't physically do what I'm trying to tell them to do. So by doing the screens and I mean, you don't have to do the TPI screen, but they actually have it for free on their website. So even if you're not certified, you can still look up all the screens that they do. But by trying to fix those limitations in the weight room with certain exercises, now the athletes are able to do these motions that maybe they weren't able to do before. And besides the obvious strength gains and power that our players are going to get in the weight room, I think the medicine ball training and the weighted bat routines are a really good bridge between the weight room and just building up pure rotational strength and velocities. Okay. Besides what people might say, rotational strength and velocities is one of the most important things there is in throwing and hitting. So, I mean, that's one of the major focuses that we have, no matter what age the players are. Love it. So you're going through all of this and using the weight room to help fix swing and throwing problems. But as you're going through that, what are some of the most common problems that you see from kids and how can we fix those? For sure. So, Especially with youth, youth players, I think the biggest thing that I see with the couple hundred kids I work with is either a lack of strength or a lack of intent 
to either swing hard or to throw hard. And if you can't do either of those two things, then nothing else to me really matters a whole lot. Those are the two big foundations is throwing speed and hitting velocity. So, and that's not just in baseball. It's pretty much every sport is rotational. So no matter what sport you're doing, that needs to be a big focus. Um, I wrote a blog post about a month or so ago where I discussed how important it is to make uh, that the, the biggest focal point. And especially with youth kids, because there's such a small window to develop that. I mean, if you're slow when you're 16 years old, there's not a whole lot you're going to be able to do about it. So when the athletes are, you know, youths, it's really important to stress that. So, yeah. So, I mean, if I'm working with a kid and say he's hitting front toss or something, or he's on the field and he hits a ball 40 feet foul to the pull side, ball's over, but he swung really hard. A lot of coaches would pick him up. You know, tell him to stay within himself. But I think it's really important to stress that that's a good thing. And we should be picking that kid up and telling him to do it again, just so we can build that into the motor pattern that they need to turn really hard. Definitely. Uh, younger in my career, I was really into building pretty swings. And a good friend of both of ours, Jason Ochart, tweeted out the other day that he couldn't, or about how a kid, how he saw another kid with a pretty swing who couldn't hit. And so what are some practical ways that you teach not only a better swing, but how to teach the player to hit. For sure. So um, besides, obviously, we I try to warm up. Like we try to make a routine for our hitters pre-practice or pre-game. So that that'd be when we do the med ball and weighted bat routines and stuff okay. like that. And then we slowly kind of progress and we make a progression. So it might start with, say, using a PVC stick and doing some dry swings, and then maybe moving into hitting wiffle balls with that PVC stick. Um, then after that, uh, we do a lot of angled front toss, which I got from Jerry Brewer, and mm-hmm. he's just I'm sad that he's not around anymore. Wow. Um, yeah, so we do a lot of we might uh, so start with the PVC, and then maybe go into front toss wiffle balls, then maybe progress into angled with weighted bats. So say you're doing a constraint drill, maybe it's angled front toss, for instance. Uh, we do maybe a round of fifteen. Five swings would be with a heavy bat, five would be underload, five regular, or you could do a full round of overload, full round of underload, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But uh, So we progress into that, and then after that, we uh, our facility has a hack attack machine, which I know not everybody has, but I mean, facing front toss and hitting off a tee can only get you so far. So, I mean, we try to hit as much as we can off the hack attack to make it a little more realistic. Yeah, you can throw sliders, fastballs, whatever. And I know, like I said, not everybody has access to that, but, you know, try hitting off live pitches as much as possible, or if it's just your coach throwing BP, maybe mixes up pitches, throws a little harder, that kind of stuff. For sure. And that's, you know, something that I'm implemented this, that I've implemented this fall. So when we're trying to make changes in the swing, have you seen that it's better to get the bat out of their hands and getting another implement in their hands and that that's helped a whole lot more? And then do you, do you immediately have them go to a higher stress situation like a machine or do you progress somewhat slower? Yeah. So just like, I mean, just like the driveline plyo care drills, I mean, the second you put a baseball or a bat in somebody's hand, they're just going to go right back to their, whatever their natural pattern is. So Mm -hmm. on the throwing side by, you know, giving them a two pound ball, they kind of, that muscle memory almost goes away and they can learn a new pattern. So I think it's the same thing with a swing. The second of, 
ball and a batter involved, they're just going to go right back to their natural movements. So that's why I'm a big fan of, you know, using a broomstick or a piece of PVC where they can actually just focus on moving properly as opposed to thinking about hitting all the time. And like you said, if you just go directly back into hitting live, they're just going to go right back to their old motor patterns. So that's where I think the progression comes in where don't let them move off, say, the PVC swings until they understand what they're doing. Then slowly move into front toss until they understand and can perform that skill. And then just kind of build your way back up all the way to hitting live again. But if you uh, make a too big of a jump too early, I think they're just going to go right back to what they're used to doing. Makes sense. So are you, you know, more into group training or one-on-one? I, I do both. But okay. it's mostly, I would say mostly group stuff. Okay. Now, what would you say to the team coaches who are listening who are curious on how they can implement something similar to what you're, what you are trying or what you are doing currently? For sure. So, uh, I mean, a couple of years ago when I was coaching a high school team, this came, uh, slapped me right in the face, actually. So I would always, when I first started kind of learning new stuff about hitting, I tried to break down every kid's swing, every practice, and got super mechanical with them. And I think for the first half of the year, we might have hit under 200. I mean, the kids were confused, they trying to change them too quickly. And I, th- I think a far better approach in a team setting is simply more culture-related, where more external cues, that type of stuff. So rather than being in the cage and you know trying to break down each body part, doing certain movements, maybe you just hit on the field and tell them to hit awful home runs or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really think a more external goal with big groups of kids is a far more effective way to do it. They can move more naturally. You know, they're not getting confused. And I mean, I, my one of my favorite things is just hitting BP and telling them to hit awful home runs. Cause I mean, if your swing isn't able to at least drive a ball to the awful gap, you're probably not moving properly mm-hmm. whereas a guy that is able to do that they're probably doing stuff right okay. so rather than the mechanical breakdowns i think more of a culture and external cueing is a far more effective way to go okay and i love the use of external cues as well and you know i also love being able to hold kids accountable so this fall we've started to designate group leaders for each group so say you have a question in your in your group then you would ask your group leader first and if I've done my job, which is taught, you know, the, the, the swing correctly, or at least the drill correctly, then the group leader should be able to answer that question. Now, obviously, there's going to be questions that they can't answer, and they would obviously come to us about. But if the kids can teach it, then they know it, and, it, and, and we've got them. And so it's also about putting a lot of ownership on them to own their career. But the best part and I'm sure you you have experienced this as well, but the best part is hearing the questions and then the answers that each group has and how they're all communicating the different feels that they have. It's really awesome watching kids when they start to buy in and talk to each other about things. I always, my goal when I coach kids is I try not to tell them what to do. I try to more share information, kind of, I really like having a dialogue between players where you're talking and sharing ideas where you get to the point where if I'm gone, I'm not coaching anymore, they're still able to learn on their own. I, I don't want them to be relying on me. I want them to be able, I want to be able to teach kids so when I'm gone, they can still succeed. Absolutely. And I think we as coaches sometimes forget how hard the game is. I mean, the game of baseball is extremely hard. 
And it can sometimes mean more coming, you know, from your teammates that you're constantly in the trenches with and saying, you know, having a guy like your, your starting senior shortstop explain to a freshman in their own language how something feels or works, you know, it can be an awesome thing. And, you know, again, I want them to take as much ownership as we, as we can. Right. And everyone's different, right? It's, uh, you got to find a, which you got to find the ways that each player learns better, right? Maybe one kid really likes video work and where another kid will yip himself out and it won't work at all. Right. Mm-hmm. So you said something that I think is really important where we can't forget how hard it is. I wrote an article the other day where basically I, I tried to teach myself how to golf. So mm-hmm. I, I felt like I was losing connection with what it was like to be a kid and be trying to learn something new. So I tried to kind of challenge myself in the same way where, I mean, I'm not a good golfer. I shoot probably like 95, something like that. So I kind of, I made a goal this year where I wanted to shoot 80 and that's a bit of a hard goal. But so for the past six months, I've basically been trying to teach myself a new skill and hopefully getting, realizing how hard it is to learn something and maybe I'll learn something of how to teach kids better. So I think that's really valuable not to forget how hard it is. And I've been going to the range every day, every second day for six months. And I mean, I shot an 85 the other day, which I mean, that's a huge improvement. But the amount I've learned in skill acquisition by doing that is insane. I really recommend people try it. Definitely. And with ownership, we always want to hold them accountable. So I think a way to do that is to try and measure everything we can, or at least what we feel is important. Now, we all want to be competitive and seeing a number of a number or targets can help with that. So, you know, what are some of your favorite things that you like to measure? For sure. So uh, on the throwing side, I mean, I've been doing the driveline stuff now for four or five years. So I've kind of got a good hang of it. I know it can be a little daunting for new people if you're doing that. But so the way we have it set up on the throwing side is in the fall, we're measuring uh, the assessments obviously is day one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be doing the TPI power test, which is the uh, way to, the medicine ball test. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, uh, the last day of fall ball, we'll take velocity readings off the mound. And so that's kind of our baseline. And then throughout the fall and winter, we do plyo ball velos, we do pull down velos, and we do mound velos. So for the pitchers, those, that'll be getting tracked. Every throw they make basically will be getting tracked throughout the fall and the winter. And then on the hitting side, uh, we actually just got a Rapsodo hitting unit. So we'll be able to measure all that stuff. Um, Again, we'll probably do that once every couple weeks because it's kind of time consuming. And one thing that I I think is really cool that I don't know if anybody really knows about, but there's a website called Baseball Savant. Mm -hmm. So what you can, there's a tool on there where you can take, say player A comes in, you put them through a hitting assessment on the Rapsodo. You get their average launch angle, their off average exit velocity. And then in this tool on Baseball Savant, you can actually plug in those numbers and it'll spit out what happens when you hit the ball at that launch angle and that exit velocity in Major League Baseball. So say, oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So say your exit velocity was, your average was 80 miles per hour at, uh, you know, a five degree launch angle. It'll spit out what the average batting average is on those balls. And then say two months later, you do the test again. Their exit velocity goes up five miles an hour. Their launch angle goes up five degrees. Then you can plug that in again. And you can compare the difference in batted ball data between those two things. Wow, that's really cool. I'll have to check that out. So how often are you guys measuring that stuff? Well, for the throwing, that would be, there would be uh, one plyo day a 
week we'd measure, one pull down day a week we'd measure. And on the hitting side, we uh, would do the Rapsodo testing probably every two weeks or so. So Derek, I'm trying to find the balance between measuring enough and not you know, letting them get lackadaisical and not measure and measuring too much and not making them like turn around every swing to see what I thought about that. So based on the amount of kids we have and coaches and, you know, what's, what, what's some advice with that? Another tricky thing is I used to measure like exit velocities with a radar gun. And I mean, you'd have kids rolling over to third base at a hundred miles an hour and thinking it's a good thing, right? So it's a little tricky. Say if you only have a radar gun, maybe something you could do is set parameters where the ball, you only measure the ones that are, you know, balls above the L screen that go to the center of the field or something like that. If the highest exit velocities are ground balls to shortstop and you're measuring their highest velocities, they're just going to start gearing a swing that's just accomplishing the wrong goals, right? Sure. And we talk a lot about constraint training and, you know, that's what we're talking about. It's, it doesn't have to be complex. It's essentially setting up, setting them up for a goal that we want to see accomplished. So like I'm a teacher and, you know, every day I have to post the objective of the day on my PowerPoints. And, you know, what that means is just by the end of the class or in the baseball setting at the end of our practice is the objective that we want to them to be able to do, or at least, you know, that goal of, of how that they're going to accomplish what we're trying to get them to do. So now my goals may be different from your goals and so on. And so my constraints may be different from yours, but that's what constraint training is to me. Right. And anytime, I think anytime you can take words out of the equation, you're going to see some better results. I mean, it gets confusing. I mean, anytime you can set the outcome, set a goal, set up a plan, I think everyone's going to be better off. Well, and I got the opportunity to go to 108's Bridge the Gap a few months ago and, and really got the opportunity to hear Steve Johnson speak. And he's at Leg Kick Nation. So make sure you guys go follow him. Fantastic guy. But he said that the moment that his teaching career changed, and he's a teacher in New Jersey, uh, an AP econ teacher, and he said that the minute that his teaching career changed was the moment that the dress came out on social media. And you know the dress that I'm talking about, the one that everyone argued, whether it was black or blue or white and gold. And the reason why it, it made such a big difference is it just shows you how different people perceive information differently. But if we all use external cues and constraint training, I think that that takes a lot of the guesswork and a lot of that out of it. I totally agree. And I mean, they might maybe they might not make the adjustment as quickly as if you told them exactly what to do. But I mean, mm-hmm. self-discovery, it's a much better long-term solution. Like when I was trying to teach myself a better golf swing, like I failed for weeks and I just, I was terrible. I got way worse, but Maybe a month later, I figured something out that I wouldn't have figured out if I didn't fail first, right? Oh, for sure. And I love your blog, and I'll make sure and link it down in the show notes, but it definitely challenges my traditional way of thinking, and I absolutely love that. But it sounds like you've gone all in on skill acquisition. So talk to us uh, you know, talk us through why you think that's important and some different ways that you're using it. I'll go back to the example of me trying to learn a new skill. I mean... Um, so there's always that battle between external and internal queuing. And I mean, some people do one, they don't do the other. Some people do both. And that's why I really wanted to do this. I wanted to figure out what works for me. Can I just do one of them? Can I, should I do, just do the other one? So, I mean, I think for me, the best way I learned was through a combination of both. So, I mean, I, 
not everything has to be black and white. It's kind mm-hmm. of tiring when people are always arguing one way or the other. I mean, there's always the answer is usually in the middle somewhere. Sure. Um, so the way that I went about doing it is I kind of tried to block it off into three segments. So the first one would be away from the range completely where I would be in the gym. I'd have a broom handle and I just look in the mirror and just total internal cueing, focusing on specific movements. And then after that, I would go to the range and I would do the same thing. I would focus on one specific movement, completely internal, and then I'd hit a ball and I wouldn't care where the ball goes. I wouldn't care, you know, what other parts of my swing look like. It would just be one specific thing. So, I mean, if I was working on my angle and my right wrist in my downswing, that'd be the only thing I would focus on. I think we run into trouble where you're working with a kid and you try to tell them to work on six different things at once and it's just never going to happen. So when you're working on specific movements, I think it's really important to really focus in on that one specific thing and don't worry about anything else. And then sort of after that, I would transition into an external cue where I'd hit my driver and I'd aim for a tree off in the distance. And all I would try to do is hit that tree and I'd watch the ball flight sort of like, uh, I'm sure you've seen that Joey Votto interview on MLB network where he just watches how the ball comes off his bat. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that was kind of the third block that I would use. I love to hear your perspective uh, on that because of the struggle that you're going through right now. And that's awesome. Fun experience, man. And it gives you a whole new perspective on what it's like to be these kids and you're trying to teach them stuff. It can be super frustrating. So I know you've been playing some golf with Jason Ochart. So who's better between you two? Uh, Jason, for sure. Oh, and my God. Max Gordon's better than both of us. Oh, is that right? That's yeah, he's pretty good. But I, I think Kyle's probably the best. No way. <laughs> That's hilarious. No way. Well, if you keep with your, with your deliberate training and you get to that 10,000 hour mark or, or whatever, yeah. whatever it is to go. for you. <laughs> That's fine. <Yeah. laughs> That's hilarious. So another article that you wrote about that I wanted to ask you about is your ideas on traditional BP, BP versus maximizing the amount of time that we've got to use. So how can we make tra- traditional BP better? Yeah, so I mean, I think anytime you can make it more game-like, the better. I don't think there's a whole lot of benefit in seeing 40-mile-an-hour bloopers thrown at you. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I said, we have a hack attack, so anytime we can get that thing on the field, even pre-game, I think you're going to get a lot better results. Uh, like I said, not everybody has access to one. So I mean, if you can, even if you have a BP thrower that can just ramp up the velocity a bit, mix up speeds as much as possible. I will say though, like, like I said, it's not always black and white, right? So maybe there is some benefits to just a traditional batting practice session, you know, pregame, maybe you don't want to be challenging kids and breaking down their confidence. So maybe there is some value in some traditional BP just to reduce anxiety and make them a little more comfortable before competition. So if you took over a team tomorrow and they asked you what BP would look like and how you would make it more game-like, what would you do? Well, for us, I mean, we what we're going to be doing this fall is any home game, we'll have the hack attack out there. I mean, you can, if you don't have one, you can maybe you set up angled BP where, you know, you're just challenging them in a different way. Um, so you could set the L screen up the third base, first baseline and throw BP from there. So at least it's, you're always getting better. There's, I always figure, you know, before games, everyone's there two and a half hours early and uh, there's just, nobody's getting better. It's just kind of, mm-hmm. everyone's hanging out. I think, you only have a lim- limited amount of time with these kids. Anytime you can maximize your time together, the better. So I, instead of rather than just, you know, your half an hour traditional batting practice, maybe you 
turn that more into a actual practice where you're actually improving as opposed to just getting ready for the game. So do you set up the machines offset to different release points? Uh, we're going to for sure. Um, it's not something we've done a whole lot in the past, but, you know, hang around Jason down in Seattle. Uh, it's it's going to have some huge advantages for sure. No doubt. And when you're talking about front toss, are you talking overhand? I always try to have that progression where you just kind of build your way up. If a kid can't hit front toss, he's probably not going to be able to accomplish it in BP. So slowly build your way up. Now, you just mentioned moving around release points. Are you? Are there any other changes that you're making from last year? Yeah, so I actually didn't even coach baseball last year. Uh, oh, wow. I took the year off. Um, but uh, like I, I think I mentioned it earlier, the biggest change that I myself are going to make as a coach is that more in the team setting is the more external culture building. Um, you know, I, I really tried. I thought I knew what I was doing, you know, breaking down kids' swings, making everyone do certain drills, and it, it did not work. <laughs> I mean, uh, trying to block everybody into certain drills is not something I would do again. Trying to break down 30 kids' swing mechanics throughout a fall is probably not something I would work on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, more just trying to teach kids ideas and allowing them to make them their own as opposed to always telling them what they have to do and making everyone try to have the same swing, you know? You know, that is something that I've discovered in the process as well. And, you know, we we don't want to cookie cut players. And once we get them, we want them to understand what it looks like to own their career. But tell us, you know, something that you've learned lately that's really got you excited. I will say um, what I'm really excited about is implementing the Rapsodo into our training. Uh, I think that's going to be a huge benefit. Another thing we're setting up is uh, a friend of mine who runs a golf academy just a town over, just bought a K-Vest. So that's something we're going to be implementing as well. Um, I've never used one before. I've seen them, but um, I'm really excited to start learning about that. And that's going to be a part of our assessment as well. I don't think I mentioned that. But throughout the fall, we're going to get everybody through the K-Vest training. And I guess if people are unaware what the K-Vest is, it's basically measuring your kinematic sequence. So uh, how your hip, shoulders, wrist, and how your bat kind of come through the zone. That's what it's measuring. So if a kid's out of sequence, it'll pop up on the K-Vest. Then, uh, I mean, that's going to loop in with your assessment too. If a kid doesn't have, can't disassociate his hips and his shoulders, that's going to show up in the K-Vest report as well. So what is something that you do that your players cannot get enough of? Yeah, so my favorite part of coaching is the fall and the winter training. Um, I have way more fun there than I do during games. When we do our velocity tra- training and our pull downs, that is the most fun I ever have at baseball. I've, I've posted a few videos of our guys when, you know, a guy PRs on a throw and guys just lose their minds. They have, they love it. And mm-hmm. that's something that was hard to, it's, it's hard to develop culture just by, you know, sitting down with kids and having motivational speeches. I mean, if you can build that culture organically through that kind of stuff where guys are cheering each other on and, it's just such a better culture. Another thing we do is I don't understand why some teams, you know, when they do conditioning, they just run poles or we need to make the game as fun as possible. So rather than, you know, having kids just go run around the field where we'll play football or basketball or something where we're getting that same outcome of conditioning, but we're doing something that's actually enjoyable and kids start to enjoy coming to the field. And I mean, anytime we can make baseball fun. I think that's something we have to do. And that, especially with youth kids, like if the game's not fun, they're not going to come out. So, I mean, I think it's really important with the youth kids to 
teach them how to do the most fun parts of baseball first. If you're of a youth team and your practice consists of PFPs and bunting, I mean, I don't think they're going to be a whole lot of fun. I think it's more important to teach the fun aspects first where, you know, you're working on hitting home runs and throwing hard, that kind of stuff. Um, if you're coaching a volleyball team, you would teach them how to spike first because that's the most fun of the part of the game. So anytime we can make it fun and make it enjoyable for kids, I think that's something we got to do. Derek, man, you've been an awesome guest and you know, I've, I've loved having another guest on from the great white North and being a guy that is learning so much and putting out so many great resources. You know, what are some of your favorites? For sure. Um, so I read a lot more, you know, research and articles than I read books, for instance. Um, but I did read one book pretty recent that was awesome, and it was called uh, The Performance Cortex. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've heard of it, but um, it's look, it looks a lot in division and just how the brain reacts to hitting a ball, basically. So I think that's a good one for people. And then the resource side, uh, TPI and Altus are two of the biggest ones I've been looking into lately. So for those, I've talked about TPI a lot. Um, for people who are unaware of uh, what TPI is, it's uh, the Titleist Performance Institute, which is based down in Oceanside and near San Diego, I believe. So they're kind of on the cutting edge of golf instruction. And they have, if you go to their website, I think it's mytpi.com. They are just loaded with uh, articles and exercises. And I know people kind of get stuck in the baseball bubble, but I think we really need to start looking to outside others. We need to start looking to other sports to start broadening our knowledge a little bit. And uh, Altus is they're in the track and field world, and I think they're based out of Phoenix. Um, I'm currently taking one of their online courses, and it uh, it's just fantastic. They talk a lot about – they do a lot of weight training and stuff like that, but it's more about kind of how to build a plan and how to develop an athlete. So, yeah, TPI and Altus, I think, are two of the big ones you should look into. And, um, I mean, I'm sure everyone's aware of the Driveline uh, blog. Uh, they – just hundreds of our awesome articles. Uh, if you're in the pitching side of the world and hitting for that matter, uh, you should be trying to read as many of those articles as possible. Awesome. Thank you. And, you know, it wouldn't be another ahead of the curve episode without a driveline reference, right? And, you know, all of those guys do a fantastic job of growing the game and, and pushing us all forward with them in the process. And, you know, I just, I can't say enough good things about them. But Derek, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do so? Yeah, so I mean, if you go to my Twitter account, I got a link to my Instagram or whatever on there. Which, I mean, if you're into that thing, um, I also have the link to my website that's on my Twitter page as well. Thank you, and I will be sure to link those down in the show notes. So you got an open mic now. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? Um, I mean, I would just, I would anyone I talk to, I try to encourage them to keep an open mind. Just try to take in as much information as you can and make your own decisions. Um, you know, not everything has to be black and white. I think there's so many people that argue all the time. I think if you make your own plan, take in information and just measure your results. And if your results are positive, then that's all that matters. So, I mean, I always try to just make a plan, perform that plan and then measure it and then just repeat that process over and over again and just keep making improvements all the time. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. Before you go, I'd love to be able to get in touch with you, and we have several different ways of doing so. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AOTC underscore podcast. You can join the AOTC Coaches Facebook group, 
And if you want to be a part of the mini clinic emails, both of those links are listed below. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.